Welcome to Kohler Mania. Thank you for joining us again today. We're excited to have you back. I am Tanya. And I'm Michael. And today we're going to talk about dating. We're continuing our series of teaching our children about sex or the S word and really getting deep into all these different topics. If you have not heard, go check out the last three podcasts just to kind of catch up. But today we're going to focus on dating and how it relates to sex. Yeah, this is part of our broad focus that we've been talking about where the S word needs to be more than just talking to our teenager in a one twenty minute conversation about how to get them through teenage years without getting pregnant or getting a disease. That's a very narrow focus. We want a very broad focus. And part of that broad focus includes talking about dating. It's like, what in the world does dating have to do with the S word? Well, there's a strong correlation with dating and sex. Dating increases the chance of sex outside of marriage. Statistically, the earlier one dates, the earlier one becomes sexually active. And so this needs to be part of our conversation. And are we going to disciple our children in this very important topic? I, I love the story I heard one time about a father. He's cleaning his gun as a young man comes over and the father gives the typical speech, right? This is my baby. Take care of her. Bring her back the same way that you picked her up. All the time while he's cocking his gun at key moments, putting the fear of God into the young man. Now here, bring her back at a decent hour, and he's not handing over his daughter, but rather he's handing him the keys to his $200,000 Lamborghini. Of course, we would never, ever hand over the keys to our $200,000 Lamborghini, if we had one, to a teenager we just met, right? But would we hand over our daughter over to someone we just met? The notable preacher Alistair Begg said, It's amazing how many people just a few years earlier helped our child pick out their socks are now just leaving it to themselves to pick out a spouse. We need to help them in this area, in the dating arena, finding a spouse. All of this is related. We want them to help find their Boaz. I love that phrase, help them find their Boaz. That's a beautiful story Mm -hmm. of... Uh, Naomi and Ruth, if you recall that, Ruth, uh, the daughter-in-law of Naomi, and she's like a, a daughter to her. And Naomi helps to find Ruth a spouse under Naomi's kinship. And she found an honorable man in Boaz. It was a great story of of how to treat each other with honor and respect, Heseth in the Hebrew, and unfailing, enduring love and grace, looking out for other people's interests over their own. And Boaz was just an honorable person. And Ruth met him, and it was a relative of Naomi. And Naomi did a really good job of mentoring Ruth and helping them get together. And we want to help our children find their Boaz and be careful that our children don't find his relatives. Broke as, poor as, no good as. And that's what we as parents fear the most, don't we? We want our children to find a really good spouse that treats them well, loves the Lord more than anything and follows his principles. And so that's all part of dating. And are are our children doing that dating process right? Are we discipling our children and how to find a spouse? What will be their method to find their spouse? Is dating the way that they will 
find the spouse? Do we let our child date? You know, the way that we date is really kind of a modern, Western, perhaps even United States phenomena. There's just a lot of sex and, and that goes along with dating hand in hand. The Bible, it's not the way this happened in, in biblical times. You either married because you fell in love and then you got married rather quickly, or there was an arranged marriage and then you had to develop your love after you got married. But the question then arises, is our method of dating healthy and does it help promote biblical values? Or are we just leading them to a highly sexualized, charged environment, jumping around from person to person with broken hearts and teaching the opposite of being committed to one person for life? It really has a lot of strong evangelical teachers questioning whether that dating is the way that strong Bible-minded followers of Christ should work to find a, a spouse. Now, we may luck out as parents that, you know, some children may not show much interest in the opposite sex while under our house and others, but others may show a lot of interest and very early, age 12 or so. I remember myself going into sixth grade and just having this shock of a culture shock going from fifth grade elementary school to sixth grade middle school. And everybody just seemed to change overnight. And everybody was talking about boyfriends and girlfriends and who was going out with whom. And I was like, who are these people? We were just playing hopscotch and war and board games and stuff uh, with each other. And now you're talking about dating. And it was really big culture shock. But part of that culture, though, was you were expected to be going out with somebody and who's going out with whom? And this started at, at age 12. So, you know, children develop at different rates. They have different interests. And so some of our kids may be very interested in boys and girls, and others may not show much interest at all at this stage. And that's okay. We don't have to panic. You know, sometimes they're more interested in sports or something else at this time. And maybe that's something we should be happy about if they are delayed in wanting to, in their interest to want to date and whatnot. But what is the purpose of dating? If, you know, if we're, if we're going to have our children date, what, what would be the purpose of dating? The purpose of dating, if we look at it from the Western view is to get to know each other, to see if you're compatible, to see if, you know, you have the same interests and just to see if you can, you know, be boyfriend and girlfriend together. I think that it could be so miscued. I hear a lot of Christians that say it's okay to do it. I hear Christians that say, well, they don't want their children to do it until they reach a specific age, maybe 17 and a half, closer to their adulthood. It keeps them focused on their studies, especially like teenager that's about 13. It's really not necessary to be thinking about these things. Like, let's focus on your studies and education because it becomes really distracting. But dating is supposedly to get to know each other. I mean, when you and I dated, it was to get to know each other. We wanted to spend time together. And a lot of that time is, you know, joyful, laughing, and seeing what kind of things we're interested in together and seeing if we are compatible. 
but not just that from us, we were both walking with the Lord and our dating was more focused on, okay, are we compatible? Is this where God wants us to go together? You know, do we have the same things in mind? Like these type of things, mission and teaching and just spreading the gospel. And we could see that together and say, okay, this is exactly where we should be. And the Lord brings that together and just opens our hearts to move to the next step. But dating at 13 and 14, I personally think that's a little bit too young. Yeah. I mean, if if the purpose of dating is to help us find a spouse, to get to know whether this person is a good spouse for us and we're a good match, we can become one in the Lord, then what is the purpose of someone dating if they're not in a position yet to find a, a spouse? They're not ready to get married. Why date and be placed in, in an environment that might be highly sensualized and, and charged in this day? Or temptation. Age where there could be temptation, right? You never know what the outlook is of the other person, because even if you're like, well, I'm just going to have fun, everybody else is, is dating and I'm going to do that too, the other person may have other thoughts, even if they're a strong Christian or appear to be one, when it comes to actually dating, they may have a more worldly view where they're trying to see how far they can go with this. And, you know, we're leading our child into that type of environment with another person that we might not necessarily know what their intentions are. And they might not tell you when we have that question, what are your intentions with my daughter? Right. And I think that a key thing is, is the dating aspect, it is really important to know that the first thing that you guys are in compatibility about is the Lord. Are we both seeking the Lord? Because if you're unequally yoked, you should not be together. Like it should be a showstopper. Like that's a red flag. Stop dating immediately because you're not going to do some type of missionary dating where you're going to save the other person. So I just think that it is important to have that focus in the dating. But yeah, why date so young if you're not going to get married? Yeah. And the best time to evaluate whether a person is a good fit for you, whether they have a, a strong faith and whether they are compatible and they're a good person to marry, have good character. The best time to evaluate this is when you're friends, because the closer we get the more romanticized environment we get, and certainly the more sexualized and sensual it becomes, the more our eyes tend to close. Love is blind is certainly true. And so then our evaluation process oftentimes gets thrown out of the window because our feelings take over and we may be in love with a person or infatuated with a person that is all wrong with us. And now we don't see it. Even if everybody else who has objective eyes are screaming at us, this person is no good for us. We need to be running the other direction. Why in the world are you with this person? And we're not listening because we're in love. So the best time to evaluate that is while you're friends. And so while you're friends and you're examining that, hey, this person seems like they have strong character. They seem like they have a strong relationship with the Lord. And, you know, I'm starting to feel a little tingle inside and maybe I ought to explore that to see if this is further to see if this is a person that I should marry. And that's when we go into dating. And and this is where a lot of the evangelical teachers on this prefer the, the old word of courting. So they because dating and dating in our Western environment tends to be highly sensualized and, you know, going from one person to another and 
so this is different than that. So they prefer the word courting, which is dating that is intentional on exploring marriage with a person uh, and seeing if they're a strong believer with strong biblical character and just pursuing that a little further as you're spending some extended time with each other for that purpose while still keeping those hedges, maybe not being alone with that person, but still staying in public areas so emotions don't get away from us. But we're now exploring some of that one-on-one time and talking about the Lord and praying together, perhaps, and seeing where their, how strong their walk is with the Lord and seeing what their hopes and dreams and their plans for the future and having those kind of discussions and evaluating that further and making sure we don't get into the sensual side because then our, our eyes really start to close down more and the relationship becomes too sensual and we're not being able to evaluate properly whether this person is a good person to marry. But one of the discussions we want to have with our children is what are we looking for in a spouse? You know, what are the deal breakers out there? And you mentioned some of them. Number one that should be on our list and that we want to make sure our children have number one is are they a believer? And not only are they a believer, are they a strong believer? Is this a person that we want to unite with as one to be able to disciple our children to be one uh, in the Lord? And is this a person that we can do that with? And so that should be a deal breaker if there's somebody that's not even a believer. And perhaps if we would be unequally yoked, Bible says not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, that could also mean their faith, yeah, they might be saved, but their faith is kind of weak. It's not necessarily the most important thing in their life. Other things are, and they have a lot of worldly things that they are doing or saying and allowing in their lives. Is that something we want to link our lives uh, with in marriage. But what are other things that we're looking for as spouse or deal breakers? What do you think? I would say good character, seeing that their character is truly what they say they are. So their actions follow their words and any kind of substance abuse. I mean, are they drinking? Are they partying? Are they doing drugs? You know, and you, and, and you're like so in love with this person that you're not seeing these red flags. You know, how are they treating their family members, mother or father? Uh, what kind of relationships do they have with, with their family? Um, a lot of times we see, you know, the good side of someone that we're dating when we're not getting close to them. Yeah, you know, and th- those are great thoughts, uh, and those are the discussions we have to have with our children. What what should we look for in a spouse? And you know, it's to me, I don't know. I always get this this negative tinge inside me where it just feels like I'm evaluating somebody else negatively, like I'm this perfect person and and they're not. None of us are perfect. Marriage is always going to be two imperfect people coming together. But what we want is not to be unequally yoked with somebody. You know, we don't want to marry somebody, though, that has really bad character. They just treat other people awful, and they're going to treat you awful as well. Um, Or they have serious issues with substance abuse or issues with their faith. Uh, They don't have a high view of marriage should be a deal breaker. You know, we want somebody that's just highly committed to marriage that will go through uh, anything and, and still stay married. Strong statistics out there with people that have a low view of marriage and low commitment standards have much higher divorce rates because when serious issues come to a marriage and they almost always 
do, if not always, most marriages statistically will have some issues that seriously test whether that marriage will stay together. But encouraging statistics also show that marriages that report that they are very unhappy, if they just stay together for five years, 80% of those marriages then report that they are now happily married. And the opposite is true for those who get divorced. Those who get divorced, they ask them five years later, and they're still reporting, 80% of them are still reporting that they are unhappy. So divorce didn't make them happy. Divorce is a very, anybody that's been through divorce, divorce is a very stressful situation on everybody that continues on for a lifetime, really. So it's what they have found, though, is just pure perseverance. If we would just outlast the issues that we're having in our marriage, 80% five years later, report that they're happily married. The other 20% might need a little bit more time, but 80%, that's pretty significant. Yeah. And not only that, that those that have a high commitment standard and, and test high on their high view of marriage just tend to report more happy marriages and more longevity in their marriage and then a, a more perseverance to go through the issues that they have. That's what you really want in a spouse, somebody that will just stick through with you through thick and thin high and low, and just no matter what, we're going to work this out and get through this. And you want somebody with that high view of marriage. If you get any indication that they're just, you're going to have to pull them into marriage, they're really hesitant. They've got either because of their personality or maybe some of the history that they had with their parents and seeing a bad marriage with their parents. They just don't like the idea of marriage and are real hesitant about it. That's a serious red flag. Yes. And so you really have to consider whether that's the person you really want to link your life to in marriage if they're dragging their feet in wanting to come into marriage. So I, I love Solomon's wisdom to his son in Proverbs 5.15 and the Proverbs 31 wife. If you look at those, they can give you great standards in another person for a spouse, something to really go over with your children and your devotionals and your Bible studies, your family Bible studies. When I look at these two areas from Solomon, the standards he gives is that they would be a strong believer, they work hard, they provide, they're generous, they help the needy, they support their spouse, the spouse and kids are blessed, they're wise, they use sound judgment, they have good character, they have that inner beauty more so than just the outer beauty. I, I just love the, the difference with like Samson and Ruth, the difference between those two situations. When we see the story in Samson in Judges 14, when he was looking to get a spouse, he saw he was enamored with this girl and he's like, I want her. And he told his parents, get me her. And his parents were like, but she's a pagan. She's not even a believer. And she's a member of our enemy nation that's suppressing us. Isn't there anybody who's a believer among our own people? that you can find a spouse? And he said, nope, I want her. And they went and got her. You know, they did the right thing at first, pushing back and saying that being a believer is the most important thing. But then when it came down to it, they went and helped him. Now, he was a grown man at this point. So at this point, they wouldn't, didn't really have much power over him. But as a parent, they probably should have said, look, you're a grown man. You can do whatever you want, but we're not going to help you sin by marrying an, an unbeliever. Mm -hmm. It's total contrast to what happened with Naomi and Ruth, where Naomi helped Ruth find a godly believer among her relatives. 
and it's just a beautiful story on how to disciple our children to yes. find a good spouse because passion blinds us. It just completely blinds us. And we need to make sure that we are not pushing our kids or allowing our kids to get into an area of dating that's just kind of beyond their ability to control. In this day and age where it's just a highly charged, sexualized environment, you don't know what the intentions are of the other person. They may try to push them in areas they, they don't want to go. And it can be really hard for them to navigate all in an area for why are you even dating if the purpose of dating is to help evaluate a spouse and you're only 15 or 16 and and you have marriage is not even on your radar. You want to finish high school and you want to go to college and maybe start a career and then get married. If you're not ready to get married yet, why are you even dating? You know, so those kind of discussions we need to have with our children, we probably need to start looking at dating a little differently than perhaps we're used to. Dating is very different perhaps than how it was when we grew up, or maybe it's not, depending on how old you are. And you, and maybe you have your own personal experience on why, you know, maybe this needs to be delayed. But we still need to have those discussions about how to find a good spouse while they're in our house. We don't want to have those discussions the first time when they bring at home a spouse where you're, or a future spouse or a boyfriend where you're looking at them going, Oh my goodness, this person has some serious issues. Right. And, you know, it's great to, to want to help them. It's great to try to share the love of Christ with them, but that's very different than linking your life with them forever on this earth and to disciple your own children to be strong in the Lord. You want to find somebody that you're equally yoked to and you don't want to have that conversation the first time they bring somebody home. You know, this has to be long before that. So we've got to watch out for a few things. We've got to watch out for the notion that love is an uncontrollable force. You know, I can't help who I fall in love with and I have to follow my heart and discount logic and sound wisdom from trusted relatives and believers or who are yelling at you, run away. You know, there's a difference between love and infatuation. Infatuation is false love. It's a foolish love. We don't have to pursue feelings we have for an unbeliever or a person of unbiblical behavior. We don't have to just be controlled by our heart because it could just be a false love. It could be infatuation and it could not be the right person for us to marry. It might not be the person that we want to link our souls with for, for life. We got to watch out for the party atmosphere. We need to discourage partying and drinking parties because of that 80% of first sexual encounters involve drugs or alcohol. First Peter 4, 1 through 6 states, we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of self-indulgence, and they speak evil of you because of that. Peer pressure, that is a strong verse to go over with our children about peer pressure. Are we going to go with what everybody else and our friends are saying to do that might be leading us in the wrong direction? Or are we willing to have them speak evil of us if that's the case? Are we willing to go through that persecution, in a sense, for Christ, where people might speak ill of us because, no, we we hold a higher standard. We hold a biblical standard where we don't want to put ourselves in a position where that might get away from us. And so, yes, I'm different, and I'm okay to be different. I'm bold. I'm willing to be culture-proof and speak out against the culture, at very least not go the way the culture the culture has. 
So, you know, these are the, the conversations we need to have. Uh, we can even get into conversations with our children while they're in our house about how long they should date uh, when they are pursuing someone who is married. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, how long should someone date? We dated for a very short time and then got married. And I was surprised that people were very encouraging of us to go down that path. But there were some. There were were some that were like, whoa, what are you doing? That was a little bit quick. Have you had enough time to evaluate? Right. Because we've gotten into that mentality of like, we have to date for three years or something like that. You know, I would say that as far as a time frame, I don't think that we can really put a time frame on that. It would be more of really praying, praying and seeking, Lord, is this the person I'm supposed to marry? And the Lord confirms that decision, then that's when you move to the next step. But someone can say, but I've been praying for a couple of years, but are you truly praying? Are you both seeking, you know, or are you just really into that person and you're not really taking the effort to take time away? I also suggest to different people that I've encountered and talked to over the years that if they're dating someone that they really like them and they feel like they're falling in love, that, you know, if you love this person, why don't you take some time to yourself and pray and be a part because the Lord makes it very clear when we're together dating each other, it's really hard to have a clear focus as to, okay, Lord, is this the man or is this the woman that you want me to marry? And do you want me to pursue her or him? Um, well, I think the man should pursue the woman, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I just think it's really important uh, to, to take that time. Jesus took the time to pray. He stepped away and he was alone. Why couldn't someone that's in a dating situation say, you know, I think that things are going a little bit fast. Let's stop and let's pray and let's take like a week or two and really not talk. And, you know, if the, if it's the Lord's will, we will come back together and move forward. I know for us, our dating situation was pretty fast after praying and seeking the Lord and deciding that we would be in a dating situation. And then we moved into marriage less than five months pretty quickly because, you know, once you've decided that that's the person you're going to be with, then there is spiritual attacks and there is a lot of temptation that comes in and it's like war until you get married from that singleness. And then, you know, of course, marriage brings other obstacles in spiritual war, but uh, there is definitely a lot of temptation and war. And I think I was just talking to someone the other day about this because um, they were talking about, you know, this person wants to marry them. What do they do? And basically, um, we were just kind of talking about, yeah, the temptation is there. So you've got to make sure you have your guard up, pray and I mean, I give that recommendation to anyone because marriage is not something that you just jump into. Marriage is a serious covenant that the Lord has given us. And we have to be really careful in the spouse that the Lord has given us. Like we have to be careful in the decisions we make because the Lord may not have that person for us or he may, but we have to make wise decisions and really talking to our parents about it or 
you know, those that are walking with us. Yeah, and I think that's very sound advice. I mean, how long do we do we date? It's more important to be how focused are we in evaluating the process involved. The stats show that under 25 and under two years knowing each other have a higher divorce rate. But, you know, do we go hard and fast with those kind of numbers? Certainly, if we're under 25, we need to have a serious evaluation process of where is our maturity level? Are we ready for marriage uh, mature-wise? Some people marry very early and they're not mature yet, and that tends to be a recipe for disaster. So we need to have those conversations with our children. If they are young, are they of a mature age to be ready for marriage? And how long have they known the person? Under two years, That if you haven't known the person front for more than two years, they tend to have a higher divorce rate. But I I like your advice where the main thing is we need to court long enough to properly evaluate, but not linger. So, you know, a good rule of thumb is that a relationship should progress and not stall. You know, and if it's progressing, it shouldn't go too long because we're in a time where it's intensely romantic and it's harder and harder to stay in God's will. But we also don't want to stall at a certain point where we're not learning anything more about this person. And, you know, what what are we waiting for? Why are we not marrying? I mean, there might be some logical reasons we're waiting for a job to come through or something like that. But if the person is just stalling and not getting married, why are we dragging our feet? We, we might need to have some concerns over that. But we need to have a long enough time to evaluate whether this person is strong in the Lord, whether they have very good godly character, don't have serious substance abuse or psychological issues that can really be hard on a marriage. So, you know, we need to just be long enough to evaluate that, go on family outings, see how they're they treat their family. A lot of times they might treat you nice because they're at their best behavior. But examine how they treat their family, how their family treats them. You know, oftentimes if, man, their family is nice to everybody but they're not nice to this person. Why does it seem like everybody that this person knows, they don't seem to like them very much? You know, that's got... There might be a reason for that. We have to keep our eyes open. And a very important point with that is we need to have our our eyes, evaluation eyes open like crazy before we're married. But after we get married, we need to turn that evaluation process off. We, we need to stop. We don't need to entertain thoughts of, did I marry the right person? It's now time to be the right person, to model godly behavior behavior and pray for the other person. Um, but before we get married, it is okay to have that evaluation process of the other person that you're going to link lives with. And yes, you know, we got married pretty quickly, but we had a pretty intense evaluation. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll definitely have to go through that, uh, talk about that in another podcast. But yeah, I felt like I got the the third degree from you there, a pretty intense uh, questioning about the Bible and where my faith was and things. And that's good. I mean, that's exactly where we should be. So we felt pretty comfortable going into marriage that we, we knew at the very least we had two strong, biblically minded believers on the same page that were that we're getting married. And so, you know, that's above all is what you want is to make sure what, where is the other person's walk in the Lord? And is it strong to where we can be strong disciplers of each other and strong disciplers of our children? 
and that above all is the most important, while also still looking for strong biblical character that shows through their fruits that they believe and put their words into action when it comes to the biblical principles and what they believe. And we want to have enough time to be able to evaluate that with our eyes open and see how they treat and are treated by other people in their lives and have that part of the evaluation process as well as, as well as having our friends and family meet them and ask, what do you think? Trusted people ask for their opinions. They, we've people that we've trust their opinions for in all kinds of things. Have them meet them and say, please, give me your honest opinion. Are you getting any reservations at all? And certainly, if we have everybody that we know and trust coming to us, please don't marry this person. Please don't. Then we need to take note of that. And because that's that's a pretty clear indicator because they're looking at this without the blindness of passion, which can blind our eyes. And they may be seeing things that we may be closed off to. And at the very least, we need to examine that and try to open our eyes and see what they may be seeing to see if this is the right person for us, because we're going to be linked for life with this person, according to the Bible. Or if we choose to get divorced, that is what Malachi calls a violent act. You're ripping oneness apart and is devastating to the children. It is not an experience that people want to go through. And therefore, we want to try to keep our children from having to go through that. Mm-hmm. And so yes. it's very important that they are very intent on this evaluation period during the courting season. And the time to talk about this with our children is before it ever happens. If we are reactionary, that doesn't go well. Because now we're just attacking them or the person that they're in love with, and that doesn't work. You've got to have these discussions before this ever happens um, so that they're, they'll listen to you <laughs> and hear what you have to say. Marriage is only as good as its foundation. You know, and we want God to bless our marriage. We don't want to be hiding from him like Adam and Eve hid from God when they were ashamed about doing wrong. You know, we want to use our singleness to glorify God, devote more time to him. And then when it's time to marry, then look for a godly spouse and a godly marriage with a marriage centered on Jesus. You know, what are we using our singleness for? Is it for our own pleasure or is it to glorify God? Marriage is a reflection of God's kingdom. Does our pre-marriage reflect God's kingdom? We want to have those discussions with our children. This is awesome stuff. And I think it's great advice as we have tackled the dating scene and just trying to teach our children the importance of picking a spouse, but also being aware of putting boundaries as they are dating, because there's a lot of influences and there's a lot of temptation that can happen. Emotions get in the way and we may make decisions that could lead to um, long-term consequences. So it is important that we keep God first and we teach our children that they are made in his image. And so we are called as believers to protect ourselves, protect our bodies, because the body is the temple and it's reserved for our spouse. And so as we are moving through life to date, picking the right spouse that that we are prayerful. Prayer is powerful and it is important that we do that and not be clouded by our feelings because it is really strong. But with that said, we are ending this podcast on dating 
And I think, aren't we going to be talking about a couple other things in the next podcast as we continue on in this wonderful series of teaching your children about sex? Yes. Technology. Very important with this. We've got to get a handle on technology because technology is all over the place and it's discipling our children in every wrong direction out there. And so technology is good. It's just a tool, but it's a tool that's great if it's used in the right way. But there are some serious dangers out there and we got to be on top of that or it will just rob every discipleship effort that we're trying to make. I look forward to getting into that conversation at our next podcast. So until next time, God bless.